The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In the last message in our Kingdom of God series, we began to look at Article 2 of the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. Article 2 reads as follows, We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and only rule of faith and practice. Last time we looked at the issue of the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We learn that the apostles and Jesus himself believed in the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, both Old and New Testament. Today we turn to another issue, the issue of divine preservation of the Holy Scriptures. If indeed the Scriptures are inspired but yet God has not preserved them for us, then they're not much use to us, are they? We'll begin to see today, as we look at this issue, that God divinely preserved his word for us, and we will see that the English version of the scripture that's most accurate and reliable is the King James Bible. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. 
As I said earlier, we've been on a series concerning our articles of faith. The overall thought is the kingdom of God. And what the kingdom of God is, at least in our focus, is the church of the living God. You see, we're living in a, a kingdom that is, its visible aspect is the church of the living God. The articles of faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church were adopted on May 15th of 1847. We've dealt over the past several sermons with Article 1. Article 1 says, We believe in one true and living God, and that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. We talked about the fact that our God is a true God. He is the one true God. He is a living God. And we dealt last Sunday night with the fact that there are three persons in the Godhead or the concept of what we know as the Trinity. Uh, it's very important that we understand about the nature of our God. This morning, in keeping with this series on our Articles of Faith, I want us to move to the second article of faith. And this is what our second article of faith at Zion Primitive Baptist Church says. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. Now, I just want to say to you that that ought to be one of the foundational articles of faith of every church of God, wherever it may be. We think about churches today. We think about our own ideas of what churches ought to be. We think about the opinions that we have. There are so many opinions out there about church and what a church ought to be, what it ought to believe. There's so many different opinions. In fact, I heard of a situation one time where some people were wanting to start a church and they went into a community and they did a survey. Said, what do you want in a church? <laughs> but you know, that's not the right question, is it? There's a lot of things I might want in a church that might not match up with scripture. The question we ought to be asking is, what does God want in a church? What does God want us to build the church upon? What does God want us to believe and preach and teach? What does God want us to do in our worship service? And it comes back to Article 2 here that we believe, and we still believe here at Zion Church, that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. I've heard it said before by more than one person in my life, <laughs> I don't care what the Bible says. I know what God told me. <laughs> now listen, I, I know God, God in a sense does speak to us. I, I get that. But be careful when we say that. Be careful what we mean by that because God is not giving us new revelation today. Now, now does God lead us? Does he guide us? God's leading me, I believe, in this message, in this series of messages. I hope God's leading you and me and guiding us through his spirit, through the influences of his spirit every day of our lives. But God is not speaking to us anymore. In fact, I heard uh, J. Vernon McGee say this one time, and I've shared it with you before, that if God spoke out of heaven today, he'd just repeat something he's already said. Because we're going to see that the scriptures are complete. The scriptures are all we need. I've heard it said in churches before. Well, we've just always done it this way. <laughs> we've just always done it this way. Well, that's fine. And if the, if the practice is biblical, we ought to keep doing it this way. But the question is, 
What does thus saith the word of God? You see, it's bad theology to say, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what God told me. It's bad theology as well to say, well, I don't care what the Bible says. We've just always done it this way. <laughs> don't base our beliefs on opinions. Don't base your beliefs upon theories. We need to base our beliefs upon the Word of God. Now, I want to share something with you about our Bible that's amazing. I did a little research this week on it. The Bible is an amazing book. According to my research, we know, of course, that there are 66 books in the Bible. In the King James Version of the Bible, there are 783,137 words. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 1,189 chapters with 31,102 verses. According to what we best understand about how the Bible was written, it was written over about a 1,500-year span from about 1,400 B.C. to a little before A.D. 100. Probably about 95 A.D. is the last was when the last book, the book of Revelation, was written by John. It was written over 40 generations by over 40 authors from many walks of life. There was a doctor who wrote a couple of books. There was a priest or two that wrote some books. There was a king. There was a scribe. There was a poet, more than one. There was even an old farmer. Even an old farmer, he was just a husbandman, we're told. But he wrote one of the sweetest books, the book of Amos. All walks of life. There were fishermen. There were tax collectors. You see, I want you to, I want you to notice the diversity of the writers of this book. In different places, different generations, different times, on three different continents, in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek being the most prominent, but Aramaic, a few chapters in the book of Daniel were written in Aramaic, and I believe in maybe in Esther. Over 40 authors from all these different backgrounds, from all these different places, in all these different times, writing all these different books, and yet, I challenge you to find a disagreement in the scriptures among any of them. Can there be any doubt that the Word of God is, a, is different than the novels of this world? The literature of this world, there's some good stuff out there. But there's nothing to be compared to our Bible. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to, talk to you, I want to take you to three scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And also over in 2 Peter Chapter 1 and verse 21, you can just kind of keep your finger there. And, and then I'm just going to reference John chapter 10 and verse 35. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just quote it to you. Primarily this morning, I want to talk to you about the divine inspiration of the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, we read this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And now back over in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, we read this. For the prophecy of old, I'm sorry, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, 
But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And then, just to quote this, as I said, you don't have to turn there, but in Jesus talking about uh, another topic, he makes this statement in John chapter 10 and verse 35. He says, and the scripture cannot be broken. The word broken there, or cannot be broken, means it can't be broken up or dissolved or destroyed. In other words, you can't find anywhere in the scripture where there's a break or there's a problem or a conflict between the thoughts. So let's talk about this using these three verses. We're going to kind of come back and forth to some of them this morning. First of all, we can see from Scripture that the Bible is completely inspired. It's completely inspired. And remember what we said in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says, All Scripture is given. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So all Scripture is inspired. This was probably written around 63 A.D. Paul probably wrote this, the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, and the letter to Titus around 63 A.D. And this would have been after all the Gospels had been written and, and many other letters and books of the New Testament. But it certainly was after the Old Testament. The Old Testament had been completed for a long time, for centuries so he's certainly referring to the Old Testament when he says all Scripture. And I believe he's also referring to all the other New Testament books that have been written to this point. All Scripture. That means there's no exceptions. Everything is written by inspiration of God. Now let's look at that, that phrase, given by inspiration of God. That's fine, like it is. I'm not improving on the in translation here. It's perfectly correct the way it is. But it's also, I like to go back sometimes to the Greek word and to do a little word study on it because it's a pretty neat thing to look at occasionally, and this is one of those times. The word given by inspiration of God is the Greek word theoneustos. P-N-pneustos, Okay. You've heard of a pneumatic drill. You've heard of pneumonia. Has to do with the breath. Has to do with wind. Has to do with air, right? Literally, that word means divinely breathed. Divinely breathed. Given by inspiration of God means that it was divinely breathed out. And that's interesting when we know that the Hebrew word for spirit, the Hebrew word for the spirit of God found over in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it's the Hebrew word ruach, which means breath or wind. Also in Greek, the Holy Spirit is the pneumatos hagios. Hagios means holy. Pneumatos means spirit or wind or breath. So you see here, that these words of God, that the Bible that we have was given by the inspiration of God. Literally, it was breathed out by God. Isn't that what we do when we talk? We talk, we breathe out. You know, you can't really talk sucking in, can you? You ever try that? It doesn't work. You breathe out. And that's what he's talking about here. God breathed out these words so we have something that we can count upon. Back over in, um, over in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, which we quoted already. He said, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, 
God breathed out this word. God gave this word. It was the inspired word of God, and he moved men to write it down. Jesus was pretty adamant, was he not, that at least the scripture they had up to his day, which was the Old Testament, would stand. You remember over in Matthew 5 and verse 18, he said, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now the word jot there refers to the smallest letter of the Hebrew language. It's a yod, the Y. It's a yod. It's a little tick mark basically at the top. It's the smallest letter of the Hebrew language. Not the smallest letter won't pass away till all is fulfilled. The, the word tittle there is, is, is it's a letter extension. It's the... It's a pen stroke that can differentiate one Hebrew letter from another. See, in Hebrew, they don't write with vowels. You know, it's kind of strange language when we look at it. We have vowels and consonants. But in Hebrew, they're all consonants. And through the years, some of the scribes began to add little tick marks, little wispy marks at the top or sometimes in the middle, sometimes at the bottom to differentiate the pronunciations. And Jesus says even those little wispy pen strokes will not pass away until all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of God will stand. You say, well, that's the Old Testament, right, preacher? What about, is there any place in the scripture we can see any reference to New Testament? Well, turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Notice what, this is the Apostle Peter writing here. The Apostle Peter says this, he says, he's talking about another topic, counting that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. But notice in verse 15, at the end of that verse, what he says, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Notice what Peter's done here. He's referred to some letters and writings of the Apostle Paul. And he says, Paul has written to you according to the wisdom that was given to him. And by the way, they're equated with the other scriptures. So, Peter, at least, all the way back in the first century A.D., believed that there were some things given in the New Testament day that were by inspiration of God. So he's not just referring to the Old Testament scriptures. There were some accepted letters in that day that were given by inspiration of God, that is, that were equivalent unto scripture. Look with me over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, just to give us another little hint there about how that the apostles believed, what they believed about the New Testament writings. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 18. He says, For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his hire, or of his reward. Now I want you to notice how this began. He says, The Scripture, the Scripture, that is, what I consider, me, the Apostle Paul, what I consider to be inspired, to be foundational, to be that which we can rely on, this is scripture that I'm about to give you. And the first part of that, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. 
He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. Clearly Old Testament reference there. But in chapter, in this, at the end of that verse, he says, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. You can turn back there and see it sometime. He's quoting the gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter in the 7th verse, where Jesus says the laborer is worthy of his hire or his reward. Same word there. So Paul here, the apostle Paul, we see, is equating at least the gospel of Luke with scripture. At least that part is scripture. He's quoting it there. You see, and by the way, if you go back to history and look, you'll, you'll find evidence. Most of the time you hear, well, they didn't really canonize or, or make it official what the New Testament was until several centuries later. But as early as this first century, you see already that the New Testament, that at least Paul the apostle and Peter the great apostle believed that there were some inspired scriptures and quotes them. You see, going back to our original text, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That tells us the Bible is completely inspired. By the way, we need that, don't we? I love to read novels. I love to read uh, mystery books, you know, different types of genres of literature. They're all, but you'll find errors in those sometimes. I can remember even reading The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite books ever. I found a couple of places where it looked like things were inconsistent. I need something I can rely on. J.R.R. Tolkien was a wonderful writer, but he was not inspired of God. God inspired these men. He moved them by the Holy Spirit to write. The Bible is completely inspired. And, and because it is completely inspired, it is completely accurate. It is completely accurate. Remember what we said that Jesus said in John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. That means it cannot be broken up. It cannot be dissolved. It cannot be destroyed. Sometime when you get a chance, I encourage you to read the entire Psalm 119. It's pretty much all about the word of God. I'm going to quote a couple of verses there today. Uh, but uh, you can turn there and read them if you like. But uh, in Psalm 119 and verse 160, the psalmist way back in time, way back before Christ ever came, said, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. But then you say, preacher, though, I know a lot of people who promote the idea that there are inconsistencies with the word of God. What's the problem there? What's going on there? Well, going back to 2 Peter, Back over in 2 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 1 rather, and right before our verse that we've been in, notice if we back up to verse 20, he says this, and we're going to pick up more of that a little bit later on, but notice what he says in verse 20 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Knowing this first, in other words, when you go to the scriptures, when you start studying the word of God, you need to know this principle. And I, it's a principle we've harped on here many times. But notice what the Apostle Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. You know, the problem with most scriptural errors is that the verse is taken out of context. You know, you've heard, you've heard me say this so many times that a, a text out of context is usually just a pretext. <laughs> that's, that's, I've heard Elder Sonny Pyle say that many times. A text out of context is usually just a pretext. You've taken it out to use it to support something out of the scripture. 
But he says the scripture is no, no prophecy, no writing, no verse is of any private interpretation. The scriptures have to be taken in context. I tell you this, I could take the verses out of context. I could, I could go over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 and I could prove to you out of context that the apostles had a Honda. It says they were, in, they were with one accord. <laughs> I could prove to you that David rode around on a motorcycle. We heard about his triumph being known throughout all the land, right? So you, and I know that's an extreme example, but many people take scriptures out of context in order to prove something that they already believe instead of say, taking what thus saith the Lord. Most doctrinal error comes this way. Most doctrinal error will come from not understanding the context in which a verse is taken. But see, over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, turn with me over there for just a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, listen to this. This is Paul's admonition to a preacher. And I admonish any preacher here, but I admonish all of you this same thing. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. That's some pretty important stuff for me as a preacher. I don't want to get up here and preach something to you, and I've done it before. I, I, I don't think I have lately, but when I was a young preacher, I've preached some things. I've said some things from the pulpit that I had to be corrected on, and that makes me ashamed. That's embarrassing to me as a preacher. I don't want to be ashamed. So this is an important principle here. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So how is it that I cannot be ashamed? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That, that, word, that phrase, rightly dividing, comes from a word meaning straight and another word meaning cut. In other words, I need to cut it straight I need to take the Word of God and I need to make a, a, a straight cut on it. I need to lay it out there in the right way. Beloved, we must cut straight when we're teaching the Word of God. And so context is everything. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.